0: Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. I pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. May God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, John, I tell the jokes, okay? <laughs> that, that was with too many <laughs> this is the season of graduations. Some of us have attended graduations recently or Vicariously, our social media is filled with pictures of friends and children and grandchildren and others graduating from high school or college or some kind of academic pursuit. And the graduates' pride jumps off of the screen, along with some other emotions, such as, oh no, now I have to live in the real world, or now I have to start paying off these student loans or now I'm off the parents' payroll. In keeping with this season, I was looking for something to spark my sermon this morning, and so I googled commencement address, and I read a few of the noteworthy entries in the genre. Of course, there is the uh, the urban legend speech given by Kurt Vonnegut at MIT, which he instructed the graduates to wear sunscreen a speech that, in reality, he never gave. There's a speech given by Drew Brees, quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, who said, it's not a matter of if you will face adversity in your life, but when. And then there's one of my favorites, from Bill Watterson, the creator of Calvin and Hobbes, who remarked, so what's it like in the real world? Well, the food is better, but beyond that, I can't recommend it. The real world, and not the MTV reality show, but the actual real world, is a frequent theme in graduation remarks. How much the real world needs the graduates' skills and energy, and what in the real world the graduates need to avoid or correct. And I hate to admit it, but the real world can be a scary place. The real world is filled with danger and harsh reality and brokenness and need. The real world is also filled with opportunities and reconciliation, but that comes in later in the sermon. The real world is also full of idols of all sizes and shapes and make. The idol of fame, the idol of beauty, the idol of consumption the idol of escape. And a very pernicious idol is our own self-centeredness, the belief that the world revolves around us. And this is an easy idol to fall prey to. I know I do it far too often than I care to admit. But it's easy because we experience the world as ourselves, and so it's easy to think that that the world just revolves around me because that's how I see it. But we fail far too often to remember that our actions, large and small, have consequences for others, near and far, and that failure can be dangerous. And a very dark idol is our self-doubt. We do such a tremendous and thorough job of convincing ourselves that we are not worthy, that we're not good enough, or organized enough, or self-aware enough, or smart enough. The real world may beat us up, but no one's fist stings greater than our own. And when we worship that horrible idol, we commit a very grievous sin, the sin of not realizing that we are beautiful of not realizing that we are loved and worthy of love and that we are made in the image of God. From our reading from the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost had come, the disciples were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. On that day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the apostles experienced a graduation of sorts. After years of learning and mentoring and failing and trying again under the tutelage of Jesus, And after witnessing his passion, and death, and resurrection, and ascension, the time has come for the apostles to go out into the real world. And the book of Acts reports that the apostles were very successful. They performed miracles. They cured the sick. With single sermons, they would convert thousands to the faith, a fact that always intimidates preachers. But those disciples received much more than an inspirational speech on that graduation day. They received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus promised, the Spirit that has been with God since the beginning. That Spirit descended upon them, and it set their hearts on fire. For the Spirit is not just some nebulous concept, some theological construct, to comfort the faint-hearted when we feel alone. The Holy Spirit is the continuing proof that God is acting in our lives. God acted when the Holy Spirit moved over the creation in the beginning. God acted when he, and this is one of my favorite lines from the book of the Psalms that we read this morning, God acted when he made that leviathan which he created for the sport of it. How great is that? God acted when he heard his people's cry in Egypt and set the bush alight. God acted when he crushed the doom of death and rolled the stone away. God acted In those powerful words we heard from the prophet Ezekiel this morning, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. Then you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And God will act again when we welcome Jack into the communion of the saints in just a few moments. Our God is a God of action. And I believe that God is acting in this place, in this parish, on these grounds, here at the Chapel of the Cross. The Holy Spirit was here when the first people lived in this place. The Holy Spirit was here when the Johnstone boys rode onto this piece of a new nation and called it home. The Holy Spirit was here when Margaret refused to leave Mississippi when her husband died, but instead built a chapel for her family and her community. The Holy Spirit was here 130 years later when a group of families decided that the chapel should no longer be just a landmark and an architectural treasure but a living body of faith. And now, as our community grows and prospers, the Holy Spirit is still moving, and God is poised to act. Our God is a God of action, and His actions will never cease. So our job, as those made in the image of that God, and as followers of that God, we are called to be filled with that Spirit, to let our hearts be kindled with the fire of the Spirit, and to become agents and partners of that Spirit, bringing into reality the very dreams of God. In 2005, the writer David Foster Wallace, only three years before he succumbed to depression and took his own life, he gave the commencement address, at Kenyon College, my alma mater. And in that address, he said to the graduates assembled, But if you've really learned how to think, how to pay attention, then you will know you have other options. It will actually be within your power to experience the real world as not only meaningful, but sacred, on fire, with the same force that lit the stars. On this Pentecost day, may we catch fire of the Holy Spirit. For God is about to act. Amen.